Psalm 126, it describes the mental state, the emotional state of Israel when God had restored them back to Jerusalem. Uh, and this, I think, as an, I will say this later again, uh, describes the first wave that, uh, um, that, uh, in, in which God brought his people back. And we want to look at this and ask, what does this still mean for us today? And uh, hopefully, as we said, share in the joy and the confidence of Israel. Psalm 126 is entitled, A Song of Ascents. And boys and girls, what that means is that Israel would sing these songs as they would make their way up the uh, hill of Jerusalem for the yearly feasts and uh, um, celebrations. Psalm 126, A Song of Ascents. When the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we are glad. Bring back our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing bringing his sheaves with him. Now, I would ask that you keep your Bibles open at this time as we walk through this wonderful passage this morning. Congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in his book, Unbroken. Maybe some of you have read the book, Unbroken. It's very popular, uh, especially in the Christian community. Uh, maybe you've seen the movie, does not do the book justice, so read. do yourself a favor and read the book. But in his book, Unbroken, which is written about a man named Louis Zamperini. He recalls the day when they were rescued from a Japanese concentration camp and uh, records these words. These words are recorded of his thoughts at that time. He writes, uh, or the, the author writes, um, in seconds, masses of men were stampeding out of the river and up the hill. As the plane, the rescue plane, turned loops above, the pilot waving, the POWs swarmed into the compound, out of their minds with relief and rapture. The prisoners jumped up and down, shouted and sobbed. Some scrambled onto the camp roofs, waving their arms and singing out their joy. And in Lewis's tired mind, he says, two words kept repeating themselves over and over. I'm free. I'm free. I'm free. And if you've ever experienced relief after a long period of suffering, we can relate in some ways. Maybe you can recall this morning when you went through a, an, an illness or you suffered an accident that caused you um, to long for restoration. When, when that suffering was prolonged over a long period of time. Maybe you can think of a time when you, were, you felt in bondage, almost imprisoned by some sin in your life. And you wondered if there would ever be relief. And the day when you finally saw uh, the light break open, you might, you might remember the, the relief that you felt when God restored you. Perhaps even now, this morning, beloved of God, as we sit here, maybe we, we see ourselves presently in some kind of a prison of our own making. Maybe it's just life in this fallen, sinful, stressful world in which we live as Christians, which can often feel so hostile almost prison-like, and our souls cry out for relief, for restoration. 
And we can empathize with David when he says, How long, O Lord, how long? Well, Psalm 106 or 126 expresses Israel's relief after a long period of suffering in exile. It records, on the one hand, their joy in the Lord when he restored them to their homeland and records their confidence that what he did for them, he could do, he could continue to do. And we ask ourselves, well, what does this say to us, to you and me this morning as New Testament Christians? And that's what we want to see this morning as we look at this psalm under this theme, God's people praise him for his restorative power. God's people praise him for his restorative power. We'll see two points in the first place. We praise him with joy for his faithfulness. And in the second place, with confidence for the future. But we'll see in the first place, God's people praising him for his restorative power with joy for his faithfulness. And for that, we want to reread verses 1 through 3. The psalmist writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, When the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Then they said among the nations, the the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. And so the inspired psalmist expresses here the great joy of Israel as they were now restored, as they were now returned to their land from which they had been exiled. And he describes it like this. He says we were like those who dream. In other words, they were in a state of bliss. Almost as if they couldn't believe this was happening. Maybe you've, you've had those dreams where it's so wonderful. Sometimes I dream that I'm, I, I'm able to fly. And you know, you just take off off the ground and you're able to fly over mountains and so on and you're soaring or maybe running great distances or walking, running on water, whatever it may be. And, and it, it just seems so, so wonderful that when you wake up, you think, Oh man, that was a dream. Uh, I wish it could continue. Israel found themselves in this state of bliss, almost in this situation where it seemed too good to be true. That's the state of mind that they, they were in as they walked around and they observed where they were as they were returned to their own country. That We might describe it with, with, with an expression like this, delighted surprise. But not only did they feel the excitement and joy internally, notice that they gave expressions to it physically. The psalmist records that their mouths were filled with laughter. They were overjoyed. The laughter of sheer happiness naturally poured out of them. Their delight knew no end. This is what they were feeling at this time as they found themselves back in Jerusalem. Immeasurable joy that erupted in in, in, uh, involuntary laughter. And the psalmist records that their tongues were filled with singing. And so they sang, and, and we get that. Right? What do we do as God's people when we are blissfully happy? When relief finally comes after a long wait, after an agonizing time of suffering, after you've been working with a person for a long time and praying for them, evangelizing with them, and finally one day they phone you and they say, guess what? This morning I just gave my life to the Lord. Right? What do we do as God's people? We break out in singing. It just naturally erupts from us. How great thou art. Great is thy faithfulness. All for a thousand tongues to sing. Just naturally escapes from our lips. Well, what could possibly have caused such joy to pour out of Israel? Well, verse 1 tells us the Lord had brought back their captives 
to Zion. Literally, it says in the Hebrew, uh, that he had restored the fortunes of Zion. That is, he had brought them back to their homeland. Zion, boys and girls, was David's originally, uh, his stronghold in Jerusalem. It became a nickname for Jerusalem itself. But over time, because it represented uh, Israel's power, uh, uh, where, where Israel's power and authority was located, it became a term for all of Israel. Uh, Israel became uh, known, and they were spoken of as Zion City of God. And yet, this very wonderful, powerful city of God, we read that this happened in Second uh, Chronicles 36, starting at verse 17. Listen to this. Therefore he brought, that is God, brought against them the king of the Chaldeans, that is the Babylonians, who killed their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary and had no compassion on young man or virgin, on the aged or the weak. He gave them all into his hand. And all the articles from the house of God, great and small, the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king and of his leaders, all these he took to Babylon. Then they burned the house of God broke down the wall of Jerusalem, burned all its palaces with fire, and destroyed all its precious possessions. And those who escaped from the sword, he carried away to Babylon, where they became servants to him and his sons, until the rule of the kingdom of Persia, to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths. As long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. And so Israel, who had at one time become the mightiest of the mighty, whose people flourished in the promised land. At one time it was said that silver was was as common as pebbles. They had been besieged by the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, and they had been destroyed. And the citizens who had not been killed were carted off to Babylon, where they would remain for 70 years in exile. And in Babylon, they would be forced to learn a different language and they would have to learn to live according to the culture of their new masters. Now, that's not to say that they experience nothing but sorrow in Babylon. The Lord, in His mysterious ways, will often bless His people. Even though they're under His punishment, He will still bless them in certain ways and and keep them safe and provide for them. And so the Lord... In, 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 uh, true to his character, he remembered his people even in exile. And so their customs were allowed somewhat to, to continue. The elders held on to their positions. They were not constantly uh, restrained and supervised as they had been in Egypt. Some of them even built their own houses. They could write letters back to their folks in, in Judah. Those who were skilled tradesmen found employment. They were given fertile land to plant their crops. In fact, when you read in the first chapter of Ezekiel, uh, uh, Israel sitting by the river river Kibar, well, the river that, that area was a rich farming area. Or you might think of Daniel and his friends who rose to prominent positions in Babylon. But at the same time, it was still punishment. And you read about some of the soaring and the sphere that they go through in, say, uh, Psalm 137, which gives expression to their utter humiliation and frustration, having been uprooted from their beloved homeland, and now they were captives in this pagan nation, a disgraced people. And so they say they, 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 they wept at the rivers of Babylon. 
and they could not sing the songs of Zion, and they longed for their own land. And at the rivers of Babylon, they, they had the ringing of the, the mocking of the Edomites ringing in their ears. And they had before their mind's eye the vivid memory of those pagans plundering their cities and destroying their temple. It was the very symbol of their religion. And on top of all of that, maybe worse than all of that, was the thought that they had brought all of this upon themselves. And that their only hope now was in the Lord their God saving them. And so they, they, their situation, humanly speaking, was hopeless. But then we read in Ezra 1, verses 1 to 5. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom, and also put it in writing, saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, All the kingdoms of the earth the Lord God of heaven has given me, and he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is among you of all his people? May his God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is God, which is in Jerusalem. And whoever is left... In any place where he dwells, let the men of his place help him with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, besides the freewill offerings for the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. Then the heads of the fathers' houses of Judah and Benjamin, and the priests and the Levites, with all whose spirits God had moved, arose to go up and build the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. And so suddenly... After 70 long years in exile, Israel found themselves returning to their land. And again, how did this happen? Well, the Persians at this time had conquered the Babylonians and they had taken over control. And the Lord wonderfully, miraculously stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia. And as prophesied by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of the Persian king to send his people back to their land. And we have to see how amazing that is. Whoever heard of a ruler allowing those he owned to just go back to their country and rebuild. That's unheard of. But this is what God did. He brought back the captivity to Zion. And so no wonder they said among the nations, Yahweh, and this is how it says it in the Hebrew, they call Yah, uh, the Lord by his uh, uh, Hebrew covenant name. They say, Yahweh has done great things for them. Even the pagans, the non-Jews, recognized that an impossible thing had been done. Isn't it true that it's one thing to believe that we have experienced divine intervention in our lives? It's another. And it seems to even make it sweeter to actually have people, other people recognize that it was God who did this for us. And so Israel find themselves picking up the words of the pagans, Yahweh has done great things for us, and we are glad. And congregation, what we have to understand is that the joy that Old Testament Israel experienced because of God's faithfulness was actually a preview to the joy that we have the joy that is afforded to us with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord has restored us 
to our original place of residence through the suffering and death of his son on the cross, through his resurrection and ascension into heaven. You said, what are you talking about? Well, Genesis 3. We can go all the way back to Genesis 3. That's where we have to begin anyway. And we read of the fall of our parents, Adam and Eve, in the Garden of Eden, which resulted in our exile. That is, from the eternal love and fellowship that we were meant to enjoy with our Heavenly Father. And through the fall and sin entering into our system, we became aliens and strangers in a foreign land. That is, outside of the covenant of God. Paul describes all mankind this way in Ephesians 2 as by nature children of wrath. No longer children of God's love, but children of wrath by nature. Bearing the guilt of our parents and now inclined to every sin, we had no relationship with God. Peter describes us in 1 Peter 2 verses 9 to 10 as those who were once not a people and as a people who had not obtained mercy. And we have to understand that before Jesus Christ, we were in exile. We were estranged from God. We were shut out from his presence, having no hope in and of ourselves to ever make things right. But just as he promised, God sent the Restorer, capital R, into the world, who would secure our return, who would break our chains and declare us free from the guilt that exiled us and the sin that enslaved us. Isn't that what we hear in Colossians 1, verses 19 to 22, and in other places in the New Testament, but this is just one example. Colossians 1, starting at verse 19, Paul writes, For it pleased the Father that in him that is in Christ all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of the cross. And you, that's you and me, who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. And so, beloved of God, in Christ, we have to realize that Psalm 126 has become our confession. We today may rejoice in the faithfulness of our God to his promises. He has restored us so that we today may walk around as in a dream when we understand what has been done for us and how great is God's grace towards sinners like us. We too today may be amazed that we are once again children of God. We are heirs to his kingdom. We are chosen and precious stones in Zion. Our mouths today have been filled with laughter. Our tongues have been filled with singing. Our confession is that the Lord has done great things for us and we are glad. And we today may look forward to the great restoration in the new heavens and the new earth. Revelation 21 speaks of the day when God will once again tabernacle with us. We shall be his people and we shall be his God. And so what we get a, a foretaste of now, what we know by faith now, shall one day become a reality. Praise God and give him thanks. But we also see in the second place God's people praising him for his restorative power with confidence for the future. And this is 
what we hear in verses 4 to 6. Israel prays, Bring back our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. The inspired psalmist expresses here, we can sum it up this way, he he, he expresses here Israel's confidence for the future based on God's faithfulness in the past. Okay? He expresses Israel's confidence for the future based on God's faithfulness in the past. Think about it. Look at what he had done for them. Here they were, singing and praising God once again in their own land. A pagan king had shown mercy to his foreign subjects. The impossible had happened. And so now, realizing this, basking in this, Israel now felt encouraged to to, to request of God that he bring back all the captives, all who were still left in Babylon. Bring them back, Yahweh, they pray, like streams in the south, literally like streams in the Negev which is beautiful imagery that we have to catch this morning. Now, the Negev was a desert region to the south of Judah. And it was known for its dryness. Rainfall was very meager in that area. And the streams spoken of here by the psalmist refer to the channels of the rivulets that would bring water into the area during the winter months. In summer, the riverbeds would absolutely dry up. They would turn to dust. The ground would become parched and useless for anything. But then suddenly, the water would come. And it would fill up the channels that had been before bone dry. And suddenly, grass would spring up. And flowers would grow. And animals could be uh, pastured there. And so it was in itself an annual miracle to see these waters arrive. One minute the riverbeds were just dust. The next they were filled with life-refreshing, life-rejuvenating water. And the psalmist gives voice to Israel's understanding that it was their God, not the God of the pagan nations, but it was their God who who restored the waters of the otherwise parched channels in the Negev desert region. And just as Israel would rejoice in the returning streams, in the returning water, so they desired to rejoice in the returning captives. From Babylon. And you see, they recognized that if their God could bring back some to Jerusalem, why could he not bring back all the rest? Now, there were actually three returns in all three phases. The first under Joshua and Zerubbabel, the second under Ezra, and the third under Nehemiah. And those spoken of in Psalm 126 represent what we might call the first wave of returnees. And while they were ecstatic to be home, they could not feel, and we understand that, they could not feel completely at ease until the rest of their fellow Jews were restored. And so they cry out to God, bring them back, Yahweh. Delight our hearts as we see them appear. And they pray this confidently, based on God's faithfulness to them in bringing them back. In verses 5 to 6, they express this confidence that those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. Those who go forth weeping will return rejoicing. What's the confession here? What does that even mean? The confession here is that God is faithful to his promises. And he will bring good out of evil. 
Again, remember the conditions under which Israel left. At the time of the Babylonian captivity, they were despised, they were a despised people, and they were in utter despair. They were consumed with misery. They went out weeping. They went out in tears. And the seed they sowed was the hope of return, the hope of restoration to their land. And now here they were, not only returned to their land, but restored to God's covenant love and favor. God had reclaimed his people. He had redeemed them from their sin. Yes, they went into exile weeping, but God had brought them back with joy. And that's what gave them confidence for the future, the boldness to ask of God that he would bring back all his people back to their homeland. And he did in the second and third wave. So what does this say to us as the New Testament church? Well, congregation, it reminds us of the confidence that we may now have as we sow our seed. That is the seed of the gospel. It reminds us that no matter what the circumstance is, we may be confident because our God is faithful and powerful. It should make us think this morning of the many who are still, we're talking about our fellow human beings, who are still outside, who need to be brought in. Think of the words of Peter in 2 Peter 3 verse 9, which tells us that God is patient, not wanting any to perish, but that all should come to repentance. We should be thinking about those still outside and praying for them. And so we must continue to go out, bearing seed for sowing to the many who are yet exiled. Exiled where? In false religion, false philosophy, exiled in doubt and disbelief and contempt or distrust of the true and living God. And sometimes, let's face it, sometimes we will sow our, tear, uh, our seed in tears. Especially when we are bringing the gospel to people who are close to us. Especially uh, when we are dealing with loved ones, with sons and daughters, relatives, friends, co-workers, neighbors. Maybe this morning as we sit here we can think of beloved family members who have wandered from the truth. Or maybe we can think of members who over the years the church has had the sad task of excluding from the fellowship of believers. And when we think of them, our hearts yearn for them, doesn't it? We hope and we pray, sometimes we cry, that they would come to their senses and they would return to the covenant community. Or maybe this morning you think of yourself, far from the Lord, having wandered, you allowed yourself to stray and to wander from the Lord. When you look at your heart, you say, well, man, I, I don't believe like I used to. My faith used to be so strong. Where are you? Well, I'm in an exile of my own making and my own sins. I have no enthusiasm to answer the call of, uh, a call to worship, to give to the Lord the glory due His name. There's no enthusiasm. There's no zeal in me at this time. I've just gone dry. Here's the promise of God. We shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing sheaves with us. Sheaves meaning bundles of grain representing success. The Lord will bless us. We can trust in Him. The encouragement here for us is not to give up, to continue to pray for the lost, for the wandering sheep and lambs, to keep on sowing the seed of the gospel regardless of how hopeless it seems now. 
and it spurs us to cry out to God, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Transform my mustard seed of faith into a flourishing tree once again. And we can believe that the Lord will. He will deliver. Because he is faithful like that. And powerful. Psalm 126 teaches that. Psalm 126 calls us to believe that in the hands of our faithful God, the vilest sinner is a potential saint. The most stubborn, resistant child, parent, sibling today could very well be praising God tomorrow. We have this confidence because we trust in the God who restores, who can accomplish the impossible, who can change hearts of stone into hearts of flesh, who can make alive those dead in sin, who can make dry bones live. And one day, and this is our confidence, one day, together with all the redeemed and the restored saints, we will come home with shouts of joy to experience the relief of heaven. Again, Revelation 21 promises that at the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, God will wipe away every tear from our eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things will have passed away. I mean, think about it. All that we have suffered in this life, all that we will suffer in this life, one day, the Lord will make it that they can never hurt us again. Dear people of God, let's remember that in order to be sure that we will be among the restored in heaven, we have to be trusting in the ultimate restorer. There's no other way. The Lord Jesus Christ. In him alone are we brought back into God's love. And let's remember that he continues to seek out through us those who are yet at a distance from him. Let us continue to praise God for his restorative mercies and rejoice even now as we anticipate the glorious blessings to come. Amen.